Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Back when people used to watch the Oscars, <laughs> the interest was always highest for four awards. That's why they spaced them out so you'll keep watching. Best picture, best actor, best actress, and best director. Well, the director is really important. He's very important to the picture because the director does several things. He or she carries out the plan of the producer. Last week, we said the producer of the epic is God the Father. So think about that when you think about our director today. The director carries out the plan of the producer. He sets all the actors in their places, guides them to play their roles, shapes their characters, decides how the scenes are set up, which ones stay in, which ones are cut. And this is always big. I sort of watch this when I watch a movie because the director determines the pace, whether the story speeds up or slows down. The director manages resources, meets deadlines, and simply put, when you see a movie, it pretty well comes down to the director. Last week, I shared with you that our affinity for Christmas movies really comes out of an era of time in the United States, because most of the famous Christmas movies were shot during World War II. And the reason for that was survival was at stake. In fact, you know, if you, if you study history, it's kind of like we always were going to win World War II. But if you go back and look at the military history from 1943, it was still up in the air whether we were going to win or lose that war. And so people were looking for hope. They were looking for, they were looking for something to encourage them. Most families either had some member of their family that was deployed overseas, who was in the Pacific or in Europe, or they knew somebody closely. And many families lost members of their family. And all that hurt was causing this need to rise up inside of them expecting hope. And Christmas seemed to hold the key for them. And for a lot of Americans, they went to the theater. And so if you want to know why we still have this affinity for movies at Christmas time, it still goes back in history to a time long before most of us were ever born. It goes back to World War II. And last week, I listed for you some of the famous Christmas movies from that era. And then I got to the end of the list and I said something like this. And of course, the one you see every Christmas. And all of the services, the answer came up from the floor. It's a wonderful life. I mean, that movie is on forever. And it kind of tickled me because I saw people that were 20 who said it along with grandparents who were here in the room. I mean, even if you're not even into classic movies, you cannot avoid It's a Wonderful Life during the Christmas season. And it is a great movie. When the American Film Institute ranked the most influential movies of all time, in 1998, It's a Wonderful Life was number 11 on the list. Of all the movies ever shot, It's a Wonderful Life was number 11. But AFI also ranked the most inspirational movies of all time. You want to know where It's a Wonderful Life came in? Number one. Number one inspirational movie of all time, according to the American Film Institute, is It's a Wonderful Life. Why? Why, why does that movie still have legs 76 years after it was released? Well, it's a great story. It's a story about a guy who was able to see what life would be like if he hadn't been born. Well, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting premise. And then there's Jimmy Stewart. Was Jimmy Stewart ever bad in anything? And Donna Reed. So it's a great story, had great actors. But if you really want to know why It's a Wonderful Life has staying power all these decades later, you have to know the director. Because it's the director of It's a Wonderful Life who made it what it was. A guy by the name of Frank Capra. 
He's Oscar nominated six times, won three of them. But Capra is mostly known in history as a film director because his movies were always about hope. It was always about opportunity. And I guess perhaps the best way of describing Capra's movies, it was always about the little guy or the little woman who was passed over by most of society, who was up against a rigged system, who because of their character, because of what they had in their heart, would come out on top. And for all of us who watch those old Frank Capra movies when we do, even though they might be seen as is being a little sentimental by today's culture. The reason why we love those movies is because it is about that little person who wants to do the right thing, who comes out on top even though they're going against all the powers that are. Well, if you look at the movies, you can see those stories. Lost Horizon, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, Pocket Full of Miracles, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and of course, It's a Wonderful Life. So why was Frank Capra the director that he was, and why did he direct his movies based on hope? Well, you got to know the man. you got to know the person. Frank Capra and his family immigrated to the United States when Frank was only five years old. And he talks about the trip over in his biography, about how difficult it was to come over on that cramped ship. And I want to just read his language. He said, quote, you're all together. You have no privacy. You have a cot. Very few people have trunks or anything that takes up space. They just have what they can carry in their hands or in a bag. Nobody takes their clothes off. There's no ventilation. And it stinks. It's the most degrading place where you can ever be. Get that in your mind because I want you to hear this next comment that he wrote about. He said, we sailed into New York Harbor. And as he did, there was a statue of a great lady. He said, taller than a church steeple, holding a torch above the land we were about to enter. And he remembers his dad's exclamation to him when they sailed into New York Harbor and saw the Statue of Liberty. And I want to quote again. His dad said, Chicho, look, look at that. That's the greatest light since the star of Bethlehem. When I read that in his writings, I couldn't help but think about the irony of the fact that the guy who would produce, or direct rather, the most famous Christmas movie of all time, heard his dad say about the Statue of Liberty, it's the second greatest light since the star of Bethlehem. Well, I don't want to take much more time with his biography. You can read it sometime if you want to. He came here, he worked hard, he got an education in engineering, and ultimately became a director of cheap movies. But it just seemed like God's hand was on him as he directed those movies. Perhaps it was because there was a person of faith who said to him, and one more time I'm going to quote Capra. He said, the talents you have, Mr. Capra, are not your own, not self-acquired. God gave you those talents. They are his gifts to you to use for his purpose. And here's what Capra said about his movies. He said, my films must let every man, woman, and child know that God loves them and I love them too. Would that we had directors in Hollywood who had that vision today. So if you want to know why It's a Wonderful Life is such a great story and why we still watch it 76 years later, I think it really comes down to that best director, Frank Capra. But as good a movie as it is, as I said last week about the movies, it's still a movie and it's still fiction. And outside the theater, it's still Pottersville and George Bailey doesn't save the world. But welcome to the real star of Christmas because this epic will change your life and the hero does save the world. And this story has a director. To meet him, we need to go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. There are four stories of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I always love the book of Luke because Luke was a doctor. 
And he, he, he speaks more about women than anybody else who wrote the other Gospels. I always think Luke must have been an obstetrician or something because he, he just has a vision to catch those details that perhaps the other men authors there didn't have. So as Luke is writing about Mary and her interaction with the angel, he's, he writes this in verse 26 of chapter 1. God sent the angel Gabriel to a virgin named Mary. Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. In other words, he is a hero who, who will actually save the world. Mary asked the angel, the question that you ladies would have asked the angel if you'd been in Mary's place, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, Meet our director. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This epic is directed by the Holy Spirit. Now the word that gets my attention is the word overshadow because Mary has asked for the biological aspects and explanation for how a virgin can have a baby. And the only word that the Holy Spirit uses through Luke is the word overshadowed. That's an interesting word. Because in the original language, overshadowed meant um, to cast in a haze of brilliancy. Mary was Jewish, and, and all her instruction and teaching in life had been in the Jewish faith. And so Mary understood what the Shekinah glory cloud was. Shekinah always meant a cloud, a, a haze of brilliance that meant that God was there. It was the presence of God. Nobody can look at God and live, the Bible says. But that haze, that, that, that cloud of glory, Mary recognized as, as that Shekinah. And you may remember, some of you who study your Bible, that Moses spoke to God. And, and Moses said, God, I want to see you. And, and God said to Moses, you can't see me. But he said, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in a depression in the mountain. And I'm going to pass by. And I'm going to hold my hand over you while I'm passing by. And after I pass by, I'm going to take my hand off. And you're going to see the trail of my glory. And when Moses was in that, the glory stayed on Moses so much that when he showed up, other people couldn't look at him because the glory of God was on him. So when the Holy Spirit said to Mary through Luke that the glory haze would be on her, what that meant was that same presence of God that was in the tabernacle of the temple over the Ark of the Covenant between those two golden angels, that haze of glory that guided the Israelites through the wilderness, the Holy Spirit said, Mary, that's how it's going to happen. The presence of God is going to come over you and something's going to happen that's never happened before. Now, I know I'm talking to somebody, and you say, Mark, it's biologically impossible. You have to have the sex cell of the man. You have to have the sex cell of the woman. They unite together, form the zygote, and that's how human beings come to be, and that's just how it is. This idea of a virgin birth is impossible, hence the point. You don't even know how that biological process I just spoke about came to be. The same God. It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. Now, that virgin birth is a sticking point for a lot of people, but there are three reasons for it. There's a practicality to it. Number one, it, as I just pointed out, it did set Jesus apart from all other human beings, but there's more practicality to it. Sin, and a lot of you ladies have suspicioned this for years, sin is passed down by the Father. That's theology. Now, a lot of you experienced that practicality when you had your kid and you looked at how your kids are behaving and you understood that the sin nature was indeed passed down by the Father. Because you recognize that. 
The book of Romans in chapter 5 says, That's by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin for all have sinned. See, the thing about it was, Eve was deceived. Adam decided to sin. So, Jesus came into our world with God as his father, Mary as his mother. Never forget this. Jesus was just as much God as though he were never human, and he was just as much human as though he were never God. See, God needed somebody who could come into our world and bring us together with God. We were separated by our sin, but Jesus came in human so he could reach out and put his hand on our shoulder. And he was God. He could reach out and put his hand on God's shoulder, and he could bring us together. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus died, he died with his arms outstretched? as if to touch us with one arm and to touch God with the other arm. And then there's a third reason for the virgin birth. And that is that when this haze of brilliancy settled on Mary, it was creator God. Creator God through the presence of the Holy Spirit is how Jesus came to be. Well, this Holy Spirit is the same one who directed the Christmas epic. So in the brief time that we have left together, I want to tackle two questions. And I'm smiling because I realize just how overmatched I am with this. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? And number two, is he still in the directing business? In other words, we know he directed the Christmas epic. Is he willing to direct your epic? Because see, here's the thing. Some of us need to fire our director. That happens in Hollywood sometimes. Director's just not doing the right thing. So they fire the director and bring a new director in. Some of us need to fire the director of our life and bring the Holy Spirit in to direct our epic. That's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, let's talk about who is the Holy Spirit and what a tall order this is. We need the whole Bible. And even if I gave you the whole Bible, it wouldn't even begin to describe who the Holy Spirit is. By the way, we meet the Holy Spirit in the second verse of the first chapter of the Bible. And he's five verses before the end of the book of Revelation. So all throughout the Bible, we know the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to take more time with this because I need time for the rest of the sermon. I would just encourage you, when I use the term Trinity, if that's a strange term to you, watch last week's message. Because God is one God but three persons. There's no way in the world we can wrap our mind around that. We can only receive it by revelation. The idea of being one, one, one entity but three persons is foreign to us, but that's because all we know is us. We're the creation. So we try to sometimes project back onto God our ideas, our understanding of life. Remember, God is not made in our image. He's not made at all. God's not made in our image. We're made in God's image. And so when God says he's one God but three persons, we just have to accept that. How that happens, the mechanics of it, if God explained it to us, we couldn't even get it. So we just receive it by faith. But we do meet the Holy Spirit early. As I mentioned a moment ago, he is in the second verse of the Bible. In Genesis 1 verse 2, the Bible says the earth was formless and empty and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. I'd like to take a few moments and explain it to you. Problem is, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I just know there's a lot of things about creation that we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to learn the science on. But this verse does help me. Psalm 104 verse 30, the Bible says you send your spirit, capital S, and new life is born to replenish all the living of the earth. So there's a connection between the work of the Holy Spirit and life itself. Maybe the first thing we need to learn about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is not an it. You know, how many of us, and you guys are all too young to remember Star Wars. Uh, do you remember, oh, you old timers, you remember the first Star Wars? May the force be with you. I mean, oh my gosh, I got so tired of that. I mean, people instead of saying like goodbye, I mean, you'd like walk into 7-Eleven and you'd leave instead of goodbye. May the force be with you. And I'm like, okay, enough of that. 
Some people have the idea the Holy Spirit is like that. The Holy Spirit is this impersonable force. He's kind of juice, kind of mojo. No, no. The Holy Spirit is a person. When you read the scriptures, the Bible tells us they're different human, or not human, but personality aspects of the Holy Spirit. He knows, he teaches, he speaks, he decides, he chooses, he has emotions. The Bible says, we'll see this in a moment, the Holy Spirit can actually be grieved. Now, I, I know what someone's thinking. Like, Mark, okay, when you say God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I get Father because I know what a father is. I get Son because I know what a child is. I don't think I can wrap my mind around the idea of a spirit being God. It's easier than you think. Do you know people? I mean, I'm asking you a question. I know it sounds simplistic, but do you know anyone? Do you know people? Any, you have relationships in your life. Well, then you know spirits. Because when we think about those people, we think about how they appear. I can say that I see you today, but I don't see you. I just see a body that you live in. The real you, the part of you that loves, cares, feels, emotes, the part of you that decides, chooses, that part of you is invisible. And your spirit just uses. The reason I say that is I've got friends who, who don't believe in God, and they'll say to me, Mark, when you, talk about, when you talk about the soul or the spirit, you're just talking about the brain. No, the brain is just the organ that the soul uses, just like the soul uses the foot. I mean, there, there are funeral homes all over our city today. They have corpses in the viewing room. You can go back there. Those corpses have feet, but they're not being used because the soul and spirit have left town. And it's the same thing with the brain. The brain's just the organ that the soul and spirit use. Now, here's the deal. When I say that you know spirits, it's important that we recognize, and this is, we're going to move toward understanding a little bit about the Holy Spirit here. Right now, your spirit is trapped in a body. The day will come when your spirit will not be trapped in a body, and you will leave this life, and you will go into the presence of God. Well, the Holy Spirit is a spirit too, but there are two things that you must understand that distinguish him from us. The first thing is he has never been in a body. The Holy Spirit, Jesus was in a body. That's why he said to his disciples, it's better for you that I go away because he was limited in time and space to a body. But Jesus said, if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit has never been trapped in a body, but here's what makes this really interesting to me. Because not only is he a spirit not trapped in a body, he's also God. And there are three attributes of God that really makes this practical for us. And they all start with omni. Omni is a prefix that means all. So we say that God is omnipotent, all-powerful. We say that God is omniscient, omniscience, all-knowing. But here's the big one as far as the Holy Spirit goes. He is omnipresent. So since he's never had a body, and he's not like you and me, they're just one person in one place, the Holy Spirit can be every place at one time throughout the universe because he's God and he's not trapped in a body. This is why, I, lo I love this quote. I, you know, for years I would talk about Lincoln and, and I kept getting these wonderful gifts and after a while my office looked like a Lincoln exhibit. But I, I love one th when Lincoln was leaving Springfield and he would, he would never come back to his hometown until he came by and come back in a casket. Lincoln said to his hometown, he said, I owe everything I am to you, wonderful people. And he said, I commend you to the God who can both stay with you and go with me. I love that. That is your God. See, when the thousands of us in this service leave this place and go wherever we go, he's, the Holy Spirit can go with you to Derby. He can go with me back to Andover. He can go with some of you to, you know, some of you drive three or four hours away to be here. He'll go with all of us who know Jesus when we leave this place. 
Well, try to get that in your imagination because that's as far as I can go to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. You remember last week I said it would be like dipping your cup. I mean, to understand God would be like dipping your cup in the Pacific Ocean. What would you have in your cup? In its essence, you would have the Pacific Ocean. Do you have the Pacific Ocean in your cup? Well, not the Pacific Ocean. You can sell ships on a whale swim in. So that's kind of how we are with the Holy Spirit. We just dipped our cup in the Pacific. But boy, what we have in our cup, isn't it good? That's... So I need to go to the second question, and that is, is the Holy Spirit still in the directing business? Is he willing to direct your epic? And as I said, some of us need to fire our director because right now our life is directed by me, you know, who, and we, that's what some of us could say. It's, it, the problem with my, my epic is I'm the director. We need to fire that director and have the Holy Spirit. Let me show you five things the Holy Spirit does, and we'll go home or go wherever we're going. Number one. The Holy Spirit lives inside of God's children. As I mentioned a few moments ago, on the night of Jesus' arrest, he told his, well, 11 disciples at that time, Judas is already gone. Jesus says to them, I'm going away. That must have freaked them out. But he said, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to send the comforter. Now I want to read this verse to you from John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, and you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Well, now that's the great thing about the Holy Spirit. Because not only does he live with us, because after he came on the day of Pentecost, he actually lives inside of all of us, God living inside of every one of us who've accepted Jesus Christ. Now, here's the most important line of the message. And if you don't get anything else out of this message, and I pray you will, this is worth however far you had to come to be here today. Ready? Everything Jesus was in the world, the Holy Spirit is now. Because see, a lot of us have that, well, you know, Jesus left us, and wow, I sure wish he was here. But I want to say it one more time. Everything that Jesus was in the world, the Holy Spirit is in December 2022 at K96 and 21st Street in your, your life and my life. See, God is here today. Don't leave this place and say, oh, Mark, we heard Mark today. No, 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 no. You were here in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, not only was the Holy Spirit in your life, the Holy Spirit is in the lives of hundreds of people around you. So the presence of God is strong here today. So if you need healing or help with your marriage, you've got a kid that's going off the rails, God's power is here today. We need to wrap our minds around that. See, the problem that we have with the Holy Spirit is a lot of us just ignore him. We're on our smartphones. We're watching television. We walk right past him all the time. And we're like, I don't know that God is around me. We're just not paying attention. Work with me for a moment. Suppose Jesus was in our world today, someplace. Let's say he's in Tibet. I'm not in any hurry to buy a ticket for Tibet, just between you and me. But if I knew Jesus was there, oh my goodness, to have 10 minutes with Jesus where I could tell him what I'm burdened about, tell him what's breaking my heart, tell him what I need, Ask him for wisdom that I don't have. I want to tell you, if I knew Jesus Christ was in our world, I would mortgage my house. I would sell my car. I would do whatever it took to get to Jesus for 10 minutes. I'd stand in line for three days just to have 10 minutes with Jesus. But let me ask you this question. Suppose you heard Jesus was in the world and you get a text on your phone. I hope you're not checking it out right now, but 
When the service is over, you look at your phone and say, I want to see what happened while Mark was talking, and you get a text from Jesus Christ. And he says, not only am I in the world, but I want to move to, I want to, move to Andover, Derby, Wichita, wherever you live. I want to move to your town. And more than that, I'd like to move into your house. I'd like to move in with you. I'd like to live with you. And I'm just going to be with you all the time. And I'm just going to hang with you. And when, when you uh, get up in the morning, I'm going to be there waiting with you for breakfast. And I'm going to ride to work with you. And you can just share anything that's on your heart with me. And I'll be there while you're at work. And then at night when you're burdened and you can't sleep because you've got things that are troubling you, I'm just going to sit there in a rocking chair beside your bed and hold your hand so that you can go off to sleep. That'd be pretty wonderful, wouldn't it? Did you know if you know Jesus, you have that? Because everything Jesus was in the world, the Holy Spirit is now. Maybe we just need to quit walking past him. Number two, he shows us deep, mysterious truths about God and life. Let me read the scripture to you. Jesus said this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will tell you what he has heard. Where is he hearing it? Heaven. He will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. Listen, here's the deal. No matter how smart you are today, we've got the smartest people in the world at New Spring Church. What you do not know is you do not know what's going to happen one hour from now. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But the great thing about having the Holy Spirit is he will take the word of God in your life and teach you all those things that you need to know. But from time to time, he will just teach you something that you cannot know any other way. Now, let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. The Bible says, God has revealed these things to us by his spirit for the Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. And I love this next line, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. But, and this is for anybody here that hasn't yet invited Jesus Christ into your life, because you could say, Mark, I just, this is all crazy stuff to me. And I get that. But listen to this verse. But the people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. They can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. See, it, before you knew Jesus Christ, the only thing you could know was just what you could process through your five senses. Just what you could hear, what you could taste, what you could smell, what you could see, what you could touch. And that's the reason why people who don't have God, they hear what God has to say. What do they say? This doesn't make any sense. Yes, that is the problem. Because see, the thing of it is, the things of God can always be processed through the senses. Sometimes the Spirit of God will just bring something to your heart and mind that's based on the Word of God, consistent with the Word of God, but the Holy Spirit will just show you this is something you need to think about, something you need to do. I, I got a whole book of that stuff in my life that changed my life. Stephen told this story at First Wednesday a while back, and made me think about it. Maybe I think about it because of the time of the year. It's December. It's, weather's cold. Stephen's 28, so I think this was 26 years ago. We lived in Bel Air. We lived in a two-story house with a basement that we found out ultimately wasn't properly ventilated. Morales and I, one night, we said, tomorrow morning, let's get up. Let's get up early. Let's go to McDonald's for breakfast, and let's go do some Christmas shopping while the boys are still asleep. But I should tell you what happened earlier that afternoon. We had been planning for weeks to go to that free Christmas concert here in Wichita. And we were so excited. We were so looking forward to it. But we lived in Bel Air at the time. And, and, and Jonathan and, and Jared 
went with me to the Bel Air Rec Center. We were playing basketball, and Jonathan fell really hard on his elbow, and I didn't know if it was broken or not. He was crying, and we, we didn't think it was broken, but it was hurting pretty bad, and it kept us from going to the concert. We didn't blame Jonathan for it, at least not verbally. And... <laughs> But we didn't go to the concert that night. And, and I should tell you that the three bedrooms were upstairs at the upper level. And the, but when Stephen was born, we made a little bedroom in the basement for Jonathan. And that's where he was staying. He, he was about 15 at the time, I think. And so we built that bedroom for him. But anyway, I, I remember right before we all went to, we all went to bed and everybody was going to retire upstairs and Jonathan was headed for the basement. Just something inside of me said that, and, and I said to Jonathan, hey, son, don't, don't sleep in the basement tonight. If, you, if, you're, if you're hurting during the night, I won't be able to hear you from the top floor. Just sleep on the couch on the main level. Well, that next morning we, we went to breakfast at McDonald's and then we were going to do the morning shopping. And, and again, I don't even know why I did it. I, mean, it just, I said to Marielle, I know we plan to go shopping, but I want to go to the office and work and I'm going to drop you back off at the house. And in those days, our church was in South Wichita, so I drove from Bel Air to South Wichita every day. But before I left, I just, I couldn't, the air just didn't seem to feel right in the house. And I said to Mary, I don't know why I said this, of all things. I mean, I said, would you just, I, I don't know, just something doesn't seem right. Would you call the gas company? It didn't smell gas. Why did I say that? Would you just call the gas company and have them come out? And I went and got in my car and I felt like a total idiot. Why would I do something like that? And the gas company is going to come out here and say, there's nothing in the world wrong. Don't smell gas. Well, I got in my car to drive to the campus and forgot about it really. But when I got to the campus, as it was in those days, my entire staff was out on the sidewalk. And Roy Wolf said, Pastor Mark, you need, to get in, you need to get back in your car and drive straight to your house right now. There's a problem at your house. And I drove back there. When I got to my house, there were gas company trucks all over the cul-de-sac. And the lady who was in charge of that particular unit met me at the door and she said, sir, you have carbon monoxide throughout your house. She said, would you come with me, please? And so she began to walk me through the house and she walked me downstairs to the basement and she looked at Jonathan's bed and she said to me, nobody slept in that bed last night. And I said, how do you know? She said, because if anybody had slept in that bed, that person would have been dead by one o'clock this morning. She took out her indicator and she said, look at this. She said, the carbon monoxide indicator is off the charts. She said, we can't even measure the amount of carbon monoxide in this basement. Now I wanna ask you a question. Who was it who told me to tell Jonathan to sleep on the couch and not go to the basement? Who was it who told me to go home and not go shopping that morning at McDonald's? Who was it who told me to call the gas company when I didn't even smell gas? I mean, guys, I got to tell you, I got so many stories like that. They have shaped my life. I mean, I was just thinking about one I didn't even tell this last night. This, this campus was always an impossibility. And when I say impossibility, you just don't even know how impossible it was. We were a small church in South Wichita when God, God had put on my heart in 1991 to look for land out here. When it would, I just knew it would freak everybody out. God did a miracle and we got the land. But I do remember when in 1996 we got to the place where we decided we would let out the plans for bid. And we thought the building was going to cost a certain amount. We thought, well, it would take a miracle to get that amount, but maybe it's within reach. But when the bids came in, they were like $2 million ahead of that. And we just sat in that building committee meeting and said, this is impossible. There's no way we can build this. And we just said, we'll just go home. We'll put this dream back on the drawing board and forget about it. 
Billy Poor, who's our executive pastor now, was on our building committee. And Billy called me, and I remember I was on K96. We lived in Bel Air in those days, and I was on K96. It was before K96 was finished, so it was somewhere between Woodlawn and Rock. And Billy called me, and he said, Pastor, I've, I've value engineered a million dollars out of this. He said, it's still impossible, but he said, I think I took a million dollars out. And he said, here's the thing. And he said, you've got to make this call. He said, if we go forward, we're going to have to put our old campus at risk. And he said, if it doesn't work, we won't have any place to go to, and we won't have any place to go back to. But he said, you've got to tell me. This is the point where we have to know what we have to do. Now, this all happened in about two or three minutes, and I will forget there was a pause of about 15 or 20 seconds, but I breathed up a quick prayer. And you can call me a fool if you want to. You can say I'm Pollyannish because I was too scared to do this myself. But there was a voice within me that said, let's go, let's go. And I took a deep breath and I told Billy on the phone, let's go, let's go. Now, you're sitting here today. You're sitting here today. Now, I don't want to freak anybody out. And I want to make a point. There are people that will say, the Holy Spirit told me this and the Holy Spirit told me that. And a lot of times it's just impulses. But the Holy Spirit will only tell you things that corroborate the word of God and corroborate what he's doing in, his life, in your life. So when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, not only does he live inside of you, the Holy Spirit reveals to you truths that God has for you. And then number three, and I'm going to say a word in this that's going to freak some of you out, but just hang with me for a moment. The third thing that he does is he sanctifies us. Now, when I said the word sanctify, did you hear organ music and see stained glass? Okay, there's a real simple definition for sanctify. It means to make us like Jesus. I have always said to you that the Holy Spirit, that, that God will take you where you are, but he won't leave you like he found you. So when you invited Jesus Christ into your heart and life, God's Holy Spirit comes in as God's craftsperson, and he begins to work in you to make you more and more like Jesus every day. Now, here's the weird thing about this. The closer you get to Jesus, the less you're going to feel like Jesus, because you see you're getting to the light. Some of you guys know what this is like. You shave, you know, and, and, and you leave the house, and you get in your car, and if you've got your sunroof open, the sun's in there, and you look at the mirror, and you see whiskers that you missed all, all the time, see? But that's what it's like when you know the, Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes you more and more and more like Jesus. And ultimately, when Jesus comes, you will be like Jesus. 1 John 3, 2. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So the Holy Spirit takes you where he found you, and day by day by day, he does his work in your life to make you more like the Son of God, more like Jesus. Now, well, the word of, let me say this. The word of God tells us in Romans 8, 29, just so that you know I didn't make that up, God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So for all of you today who have been following Jesus for a while, and you're like, Mark, the closer I get to Jesus, the less I feel like Jesus. But look back at where you were. I mean, some of you, you were, you were terrible husbands when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're not where you need to be now, but you're not where you used to be. You know, like, like, like the person said in a testimony meeting years ago, I'm, I'm, I'm not what I ought to be, I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be, right? <laughs> Our job in this daily process of God's Holy Spirit drawing us to be like Jesus is not to push back against him. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't it wonderful that when, we and I, when you and I fail, Holy Spirit doesn't strike us with lightning, he just cries. You know, I, 
I could say something sharp to Mary Alice before I think about it, and the Holy Spirit grieves over that, and it's like, Father, I thought Mark would be further along than this by now. He sanctifies. Number four, he helps us pray. I asked this question last week or the week before. How many of us, when we pray, we're like, I don't even know how to pray. And we don't because, see, we don't know the future. But I want you to hear these words. Romans 8, verse 26. The Holy Spirit helps us with our daily problems and in our praying, for we don't even know what we should pray for and how to pray as we should. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with such feeling that it cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all things knows, of course, what the Holy Spirit is saying as he pleads for us in harmony with God's own will. See, when I pray, the Holy Spirit says to the Father, Father, Mark doesn't know how to pray. He doesn't know the future. He thinks some things are good that really are bad. He thinks some things are bad that really could change his life. So he doesn't know how to pray. But Father, this is what Mark needs to say. This is what Mark means to say. Isn't it great to know that when you pray, God is actually involved. We don't even begin to know what's going on when we pray. All heaven gets busy when you and I pray. Because the Bible tells us not only does the Holy Spirit make intercession for us, Jesus makes intercession for us before the Father. That's why in verse 28, the Bible says all things work together for those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Well, I got one more. I saved the best for last. The Holy Spirit guarantees everything that God has promised you. Do you know what faith is? Because many of us, we've been in church and we know that, well, without faith, you can't please God. And Jesus was always looking for faith and faith is most important. You know what faith is? I'll give you a real simple definition. Faith is going ahead and doing the accounting. Let me give you this. Let's say you have $100 to your name. That's all you have. You have $100 in the bank. And you got all kinds of needs. But somebody who loves you and has means promises you next Sunday morning, one week from today, I'm going to write you a check for $10,000. Faith is doing the accounting today and saying, based on that promise, I have $10,100 today. Because I have $100, and I've got the promise of somebody who loves me and has the means and always keeps the word. So right now today, even though I only have $100 in the bank, I have, have $10,100. Now, that's how it is with God. Because, see, there's stuff we need today, but God has promised to meet our needs. And so faith goes ahead and does the accounting. Faith says, I already have what God says I have. That's why he loves it so much. It is taking God at his word. Now, take that in mind with the verse I'm going to read to you. In Ephesians 4.30, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, that word sealed is problematic for us because in our Western world, it doesn't mean a lot. But we need to know what the Bible meant in the time in which it was written. Rome ruled the world. (laughs) And Rome was big on sealing stuff. And so what I want to do for the end of this message, if you just give me like five or six, maybe eight minutes, ten. Like an auction, isn't it? (laughs) I want to show you what it means for you to be sealed. In the Roman world, sealing meant three things. Number one, it meant certification. Like I said, Rome was big on seals. So if the seal of Rome was on something, basically what it meant was what Rome says is in here is in here. 
It's been investigated. It's been checked on. It's been determined. And now it's certified. The seal of, this is why the tomb of Jesus being sealed was so important. Because when they stretched that rope across the mouth of the tomb, sealed it with wax on both sides and put that Roman seal in the middle, what Rome was saying is, we have investigated and we have determined that Jesus of Nazareth is in this grave. The seal of Rome was on there. It was Rome saying, what we said is in here is in here. We've investigated, we've determined, and what we say is here is here. Now, if Rome said that 30 gallons of pickles were in that barrel, there are 30 gallons of pickles in that barrel. If Rome says there are 20 pounds of grain in this sack, there are 20 pounds of grain in that sack. Rome has investigated, sealed it. Oh, what I love about that is when the Bible says I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, it means what God says is in me is in me, no matter how I feel. I may feel guilty, but God says I'm innocent in his sight. I may feel like a loser, but God says I'm more than a conqueror. His seal, the Holy Spirit's seal is upon me. And what God says is in me is in me, gallery over here. And the thing about it is, that's why we get together here at New Spring and we sing that song that says, I am who you say I am. I may not feel it, but God has made me a promise, and I'm going ahead and doing the accounting. According to that, the Word of God says our citizenship is in heaven, and I am a Texan by birth. I am a Kansan by the grace of God, but according to the Word of God, I am a citizen of heaven already. Even though I've never seen it and never walked the streets, God's seal is on me, and I have inside of me what God says I have inside of me. Number two, it means protected. Now, when Rome put their seal on there, that, I mean, it, it meant this, you mess with this, you're gonna take on the army of Rome. You take on this sack of grain, you open this sack of grain that Rome has sealed and you've just taken on the Roman government. You, you probably open that, jar, that barrel of pickles and you mess with that seal, you now have the armies of Rome against you. This is protected by this seal. It may not seem to be worth very much, but it's got the seal of the Roman government. <laughs> Wish I knew how to preach. And you know where I'm going. Don't get there before I get there. <laughs> Who's here today and you got somebody trying to make your life miserable? And they come against you and they think they're just dealing with you. But if you're God's daughter, they're just taking on the armies of heaven. They mess with that seal of the Holy Spirit on you. They just took on, they just took on heaven's angels because you see, you have the seal of God on you. Satan comes against you like he comes against me. And this has been a difficult week for me. And I have felt the onslaught and the hot breath of Satan. But I want to tell you something. I do know that I have the seal of the Holy Spirit of God on me. And if Satan wants to mess with me, he is messing with the armies of heaven and God will deal with him. I may not be worth much. I may not be worth as much as a barrel of pickles, but I've got the seal of God on my life and nothing can touch me. I can do the accounting right now. Well, those two are almost as good as the third one. Let me describe it first. Could I have a few more minutes? In those days in Rome, an owner might send his agent on a buying trip. And that agent might be able to buy things, but he couldn't take them with him in his suburban. It was just too big. A lot of times they'd buy timbers. And what they might do is they might, if an agent was on a shopping trip for timbers, he would go to where all these timbers were out there, all these logs were out there, and he would say, I want this one. 
and the seal would be put on that one and his seal and then he, well I want this one over here and his seal would be on that and he'd go through there and he he'd seal the ones that he bought but he had to leave them for a while but the day would come when the owner would want to collect his logs and the owner would send his agent and the agent would look for the ones that had the owner's seal on them and he would collect them and he would bring them back now the word of God talks about this when it says the foundation of the Lord stands sure in this having this seal the Lord knows who are his now right now I have the seal of the Holy Spirit on me and God hasn't come to collect me yet I'm living in a world and I'm with all the other logs and all the other timbers out there. But the day is coming and it's marked on God's calendar. When the father will say, son, it's time to go. And Jesus will come out of heaven and the trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ shall be raised and we shall be changed. And we're going to be collected because we have the seal of the Holy Spirit on us. And the owner is going to come to get us and take us to his house. This is the person who wants to direct your epic. This is the Holy Spirit. And I haven't even told you a lot of stuff he does. But he is God with us. Everything Jesus was in the world, the Holy Spirit is now. Let's stop walking past him. Let's put our smartphones down because they're not as smart as we say they are. <laughs> and let's start thinking about the fact that God lives in us and we don't have to throw a prayer all the way to heaven. He's right there sitting beside our bed when we go to sleep and our hearts are breaking and we're crying. We can't even get to sleep. He's right there for us. And when we're dealing with these problems that we don't have any answers for, he's right there. He's right there. He's right there. Oh, I'm in overtime. Thank you for staying today. Thank you for listening. If I'm talking to anybody here on television, online, North Auditorium, wherever, and you just say, Mark, I don't know if I have God living inside of me. You can make that change right now because all he's looking for is for you to open the door and invite him in. The Bible tells us if you're willing to believe that Jesus died in your place, I mean, declare spiritual bankruptcy. Tell God you have nothing to bring. Forget about your religion. Forget about the things we think we've done that are okay. And just say, God, I come to you as a broken woman, a broken man with nothing to bring but I believe Jesus died for me and I believe he arose for me and I believe the Holy Spirit's available right now. Jesus come in and the Holy Spirit of God will move into your life and he will be with you on the way home today. You can have that right now. I'm going to pray a prayer and if you want to, you can pray it with me. You don't have to pray it out loud. Dear God, say it with me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. And I can't fix myself. But I believe you love me very much. And I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And since he's alive, I want you, Jesus, to be my Savior and my King. Holy Spirit, move in, take over. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that today, welcome to the family. I have a gift I want to give you. Whether you're watching online, watching on television, you can be watching in a jail somewhere. You can be watching in the hospital. Or if you're here on campus, 
at South Auditorium here and North Auditorium or just walking around the concourse. I have a gift box. In this box is a New Spring Bible, just like I preach from. I wrote a little book called My New Walk with God that'll help you answer a lot of questions. There's a little journal where you can write down some of your thoughts and feelings that God is showing you. And there's some other things in here too. We don't have any hidden agendas. It's totally free. It's just our way of saying, let us walk with you and take those first steps. If you're watching on television, watching online, all you have to do is text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000, follow the steps, and we'll mail this to you. But if you're in the house, if you're anywhere on campus, don't leave without this. You can get it. If you want people to be ready for you when you get there, just text PRAYED to 97,000. Info centers are all around the concourse. They have this color. And then just go back and say, I pray with Mark today, and they will give you this. Thank you for staying in overtime with me. God bless. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.